Welcome everyone to our weekly Zerah Shimshon Shira on the parasha. So exciting to be Parashat Hayesara. Um, this week's parasha is Parashat Hayesara. Did I mention that? Parashat Hayesara. Um, I still remember, many still remember that last year we did um, Ot Aleph of Hayesara, which the Zerah Shimshon goes into um, Eshet Hayil, some parts of Eshet Hayil, and he compares the Eshet Hayil to Sarai Menu. And we spoke about, do you guys remember what we spoke about last year, Parashat Hayesara? Yes, we spoke about the zivugin and how you davening for your special zivug. So tonight we're not going to be doing that. Just, just so you know, so there's not even going to be a recap of that. I just wanted to give you guys some thirst to go on the YouTube channel and find it or on tornytime.com. Thank you, Torni Time, for being such an amazing platform of Shi'ure Torah for people to go. And they don't have to deal with ads. Or Spotify. Or YouTube. This is not an ad. <laughs> Please, subscribe to my channel. <laughs> and, and like and comment. And while you're at it, please, send your Zerah Shimshon stories or experiences through learning the Zerah Shimshon to ZerahShimshonStory at gmail.com We'd love to hear from you. Actually? Yes, that's actually... That's our new email for those that have not been here mentally and only been here physically for the past month, as we've mentioned this. ZeraShimshonStory at gmail.com. Send us your stories or experiences and Yeshuot um, in the Segula of the Zera Shimshon. Tonight's shiur obviously is dedicated in the Le'ilu Nishmat and in the Zechut of the Zera Shimshon. Rav Shimshon Chaim Ben Nachman, Michael Nachmani. May his Zechut be a Melitz Yosher for all of us. And everything that he promises in, in his introduction may come, may come true for all of Am Yisrael. Should be for the refuah shelema of kol chole Am Yisrael. Yosef ben Monavar, Tinok ben Shiran, Michael Levi ben Dina, Yonatan Rafael ben Gladi Simcha, Revit Halchayabat Gladi Simcha, Ahava Haya bat Neda, and for the release of all the captives of Am Yisrael, and especially El Natan ben Rosita. May we hear good news, Bezrat Hashem, soon, and we, may we all see Yeshuot ben Hamot. Okay. So Parashat Hayesara deals with Avraham Avinu purchasing a plot of land for the burial of his beloved wife, Sarai Menu. Um, and without even knowing it, without, without even delving into the purchase of this land, you could already see, especially with Avraham and Sarah, it's literally a love story. But it's a true love story. It's not one of those like Hollywood love stories. This is a true love story and we will see soon how it is so. <coughs> Many of us already know what Avraham Avinu went through in order to purchase this land. In fact, Amen. In fact, it is this plot of land, which is Me'arat HaMachpela, which is in Hebron today, I mean, which has always been in Hebron, it is one of the most uh, disputed pieces of land in Israel. Even though, even though this is one land that we have 
like a contract to. It was bought by our forefather. Right? So it's like it's literally written in the Bible that he bought it. More than he was even supposed to pay for it. He bought it. Pasuk says, Vayagam Sadeh Afron Asher Bamachpela Asher Lifinem Amre. And this, this, this field in Ephron, in the land of Ephron, that was in Machpela, which now we call Me'arat HaMachpela, the cave of Machpela, which is the resting place of the patriarchs and the matriarchs, Adam and Hava. Right? And it became owned, the field and the cave that it was within, that was within it, and all the trees that were on the field, that were all around it. It became acquired by Avraham Avinu in the eyes of the children of Chet, Benechet. Right? Chet was also another community of, was, that was also a people. We have Bene Ephron. Ephron is the person that Avraham Avinu purchased the land from, and Benechet were, you will see, were people that went with Avraham Avinu. And then says, and afterwards, Gavar Avraham et Sarah. Avraham Avinu buried Sarah, Ishto, his wife. In the cave of the field of Machpela. This is Hebron in the land of Canaan, which is in Eretz Israel. Huh? No, it's in, in Eretz Israel. What do you mean? It is in the land of Israel. Hebron is in the land of Israel. So now, the, this is by the way, Ot Hei, the fifth mamar of the Zerah Shimshon. Zerah Shimshon says, it's interesting to see that the Pasuk says, and afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah. We already know. Like, it's, it's talking about when Abraham Avinu finally purchased the land, right? To bury his wife. What's the Pasuk's meaning of telling us, and after that, only after that, Abraham buried Sarah? What is this? And after that. That Abraham Avinu buried his, 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 his wife. There's no need for it. It's superfluous. It's just, it shouldn't be there. Because after the Pasukim that preceded, we already know that Abraham is burying Sarah. Why come back again and say, and afterwards, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife. And furthermore, the Midrash says, in, uh, the Midrash in, Bereshit Rabbah, I believe Bereshit Rabbah, it says, one second, let me find it. <coughs> I want to make sure. Anyway, doesn't matter. The Midrash says the following. When it says, and afterwards Abraham buried his wife, Rodef, oh, sorry. Amram. Hudichtiv. This is why it says, Rodef sedagava chesed yimsa chayim sedagava vechavod. He who runs after tzedakah, righteousness and chesed and kindness, 
will find life, righteousness, and honor. Vechavod. Rodef Sedaka ze Abraham. He who runs after tzedakah, this is referring to Abraham. Why? Bechesed shegamal chesed lesarah. And the fact that it says kindness, this is Abraham, it's pointing out to Abraham. Shegamal chesed lesarah, because he did chesed for Sarah, his wife. So now, what chesed did Abraham do for Sarah? By burying her, right? That's what it's referring to. Islam, that's what it's referring to. The chesed that Abraham did for Sarah was that he buried her. Why now, chesed, calm down. What are you shouting? What is this? What is this, Queens? <laughs> Please, no one get offended. It's a joke. <laughs> I'm kidding. People from Queens, if they're watching, like, what does he mean? What does he mean? What does he mean? <laughs> That's the next question. It's coming up. I get very, very like defensive when people find the question before I say it. <laughs> so that this midrash really needs clarification here. Why? Because first of all, what does Abraham Avinu's chesed towards his wife have to do with this Sarah? With with his wife Sarah have to do with this pasuk that says Ba'acharechen and afterwards Abraham Avinu buried his wife. Hold on a second. Uh, the Midrash brings this pasuk and says Ba'acharechen and afterwards Abraham buried his wife. Right? Then it says, you know, this chesed, what does that have to do with the chesed? Do you understand what I'm saying? The pasuk says, and afterwards Abraham buried his wife Sarah. The Midrash says, and afterwards Abraham buried his wife Sarah. You know, this great chesed, chesed refers to Abraham who buried his wife. What does that have to do with acharechen? What After what? After, the fact that it says afterwards he buried his wife has to do with chesed? What does afterwards have to do with chesed? That's what we're saying. Number one. Number two is, that's a chesed. A man is, is required, in fact, to chesed. No one should ever know. This should never be at the wrong time for anybody. But that's, not, that's a chesed. I mean, it's, 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 it's his duty. He needs to, after his wife has passed away, that's what he needs to do. What is, what is, she, what is he supposed to do? Leave her? And the fact that he buried his own wife, the love of his life, that's a chesed hazaku baruch. Like, oh, thank you. You know, what do you, what do you mean? What's, what's the Midrash saying here? That it's a big chesed that Avraham... Not only that, but like, this pasuk, it's like, it's going the extra mile and saying like, look at the chesed of Avraham. What's this big chesed that the pasuk is referring to? So, good question, Solomon. Don't cry. <laughs> Huh? We're not going to go into Sefirot. That's my Tuesday night class. <laughs> the Pasuk tells us that Abraham Avinu went ahead and requested from Bnei Chet. This is also something interesting. The Pasuk says, Im yeshet nafshechem ligborat metim elefanai shema'oni yufik uli be'ifron ben sohar. Abraham Avinu went to the children of Chet and said, please, if you will do me this favor, 
come and speak to Ephron, so that Ephron will give me this plot of land so I can bury Sarah. Right there is interesting by itself. Okay? Because from, from the simple meaning of Raham's request means Ufig Uli is a request from them to intercede on his behalf to Ephron. Meaning, Avram was looking for a middleman. Saying, listen, Benechet, you know, let's call him the guy Chet. You know, Chet, do me a favor, come and speak to Ephron so that he'll sell me the pot of land. But, <coughs> as it says, Im yeshet nafshechem pig Meaning, please come and talk to Ephron on my behalf. You be my middleman. Now, so meaning, if they're not willing to sell this plot of land, I want you to be the ones to implore him to do so on my behalf. The Midrash, this Midrash also needs clarification. Why? Because usually a middleman is one man. Right? Chet, come to it. This is not one man, it's an entire city. Avram Avinu is taking all of B'nai Chet with him. You all come and speak to Ephron so that they'll sell me this plot of land. Now, double down on this question is the following. Why do you usually need a middleman? Okay, let's say you want to go, you want to go purchase a car or a home. Right? You get yourself an agent, your agent becomes the middleman. Why do you want an agent? Because the agent usually, this is what they do, they're good at what they do, right? And they could probably bring the price down for you, help you out a little bit, right? Go and negotiate for you. You need a negotiator, you look for a good agent that could negotiate and jump on a deal for you. Did Avram Avinu here need someone to negotiate for him? Not at all. Because later on when you read the rest of it, what did Avraham Avinu actually in fact pay? Over la Soher, he paid much more. And I, I remember someone once calculated this according to our money today. Okay? I think he paid, according to our money today, I, I believe he paid, if you like, kind of like calculate it, like $3 million over price. Just imagine that there's a home that you want to buy in Beverly Hills in your dreams for a million dollars. In your dreams. You can't even get the land for that price. Okay. <laughs> He's like, you can't even get a bathroom for that price in Beverly Hills. Imagine the, the, the house is worth a million dollars. You pay, you know, four million dollars for it. Just imagine, that's, that's a lot of money extra. That's a lot of money. That's what Abraham Avinu ended up paying, and it was no argument whatsoever. The guy was a nice charlatan as they come, Ephron. He was like, Ephron, you know, Abraham, look, listen. <laughs> Why are you even bring up money? Why? We don't, like money between, literally, that's what he says. The pasuk, I'm telling you the pasuk, word by word. Right, the Pasuk says, he said, you know, money between you and I, we're friends, what money? Don't even mention it. No, please, no, no. Okay, you want to buy it? 
no problem. $50 million. You know, it's like uh, outrageous sum. Like he threw out an outrageous sum. And, and how did he say it? He said, Avram, come on, $50 million between two friends, what is it? Abraham el Chekel, Benu Benechamahi. There's 400 coins between you and I. What, what is it? It's not even like literally just throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. You know, if you, if you decide to pay, please pay me this much. And Abraham, when he says, fine, no problem. And he pays it. So what did he need a middleman for? He never argued about the price anyway. He could care less how much this guy's charging him. Abraham Avinu Baruch Hashem had money. He was very wealthy. And he paid no questions to this charlatan of a person. Like, uh, Mamash, you, you read things about the personality of Ephron, there's things that we learn about his personality. He was a, he was a one of a kind. He was a one of a kind, you know, what do you call these people that like weasel money out of people? Uh, huh? Robbers. Scammers. He was a, he was a one of a kind top... Hustler, scammer, right. Yeah, so, so that's, that's the main question over here. He didn't need anyone to negotiate for him. So what was he doing with Benechet? Number one. Number two, if you need a negotiator, you need one person. What are you bringing the whole town with you? Huh? Witnesses. Okay, so two. Huh? Huh? Witnesses to verify the contract. Okay, five people. Entire. All of these people. How do you even get the taxi? Huh? Did he offer food or something? Avram Avinu, you should know, Avram Avinu at that time was very well known. He was a very respectable person. Right? Did he specifically buy that specific land because Akadosh told him to? So said, whatever the cost, I just want to get this. No. Akadosh actually instructed him not to buy it. No, he, ju- he knew that Adam and Chava are buried in that cave. How did he know? He lived close by. They were neighbors. There was the flood, but Noah, Noah and Abraham, their timeline in life overlapped. Was there ever a conversation? I'm sure there was a conversation at one point between them. Is it recorded in the Torah? No. Is there like a... An audio file of it? Probably not. Right? <laughs> but I'm saying, these people lived at the same time. And you have to imagine, after the flood, not that many people lived yet. People knew people. You understand what I'm saying? So, everyone lived around the same areas, pretty much, at the time. So, people knew things. It wasn't so far-fetched for people to know. Adam and Chava, the first human beings to be created, buried here. It was a common knowledge. Right? It was common knowledge. There's nothing lost in translation here because they still had the link. The link was there. It wasn't that. They overlapped, though. Like, what do you mean? Oh, um, it's, it's easy. You just, you, you, okay. like, there's, there's charts that show you when each person was born, when they died, and you see that their timelines do overlap. So Abraham, which, which makes it even more interesting because how did people not believe in Hashem at the time when like Noah was still there? Like he would be like, listen, this is the boat that I put all the animals in, and all of you are my children. So don't go against God again, please. 
No one's going to build another boat. But still people did it. You know? So when we look back today, when we, like, people deny the Holocaust or whatever, or, or better yet, when we Jews sometimes don't learn from our, the, the history of hardship that we've had, someone's like, surprised. Surprise, surprise. Like, unfortunately, it's been in our history. Sometimes we just don't learn from our past. Sometimes it's just, that's the sad truth of it. We forget very quickly. Very quickly. Right. So in truth, as we are saying, we could answer that Avram Avinu really did not need whatsoever a middleman. <clears throat> he didn't need it. <clears throat> what did he really need? Avram Avinu had an idea. He wanted to give the utmost respect to his wife that had passed. And he wanted to make sure that she has a respectful burial and a funeral. Therefore, he asked Ben Echet to shut down their businesses, to shut everything down. And he said, there is a business deal that I have to do. I need all of your help. If you're there, this would put pressure on Ephron to sell me this land. And everyone respecting Abraham Avinu comes. But his main purpose was to make sure that everyone is there when he's burying his wife. Because he wanted to give the utmost respect to the love of his life. After she had already passed. He wanted to make sure that Sarai Menu goes with Kavod, is buried with Kavod. When there's hundreds, thousands of people there at the burial site. That was Avraham Avinu's purpose. That's why the Zera Shimshon says, the Paksuk says, And afterwards, Avraham Avinu buried Sarah. After what? After Benechet came with him, and he spoke to Ephron and got the land, right there, Avram Avinu buried Sarah. Right in front of Benechet, all these people around. Why? Because he wanted to give respect to his wife. That's why the Midrash says, Ah, Rodef Tzedakah, Vachesed, the Pasuk refers to the person that runs after Tzedakah and charity and kindness, is referring to Avraham. Not because he had a tent open for chesed in the Midbar. Not because he had helped so many people come to the realization of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. No. Why? Because he buried his wife. I, we asked, look, that's chesed? He's supposed to. He didn't just bury her. He gave her the kavod that she deserved. He went out of his way to get hundreds of people to accompany him to the burial plot to make sure that she is respected and she's buried in front of everyone. That's the kavod that she deserved. That goes sometimes, unfortunately, against what we see happening in the world today. In two ways. One, certain people want to you know, respect the deceased in different ways. And unfortunately, sometimes those ways are not only disrespectful, but they're disastrous. Disastrous for the neshama of the deceased. Let's not even go there. But the point I want to make tonight is that some people feel or think that once someone is gone, once someone passes away, then there is a, that's it, they've passed away. Whatever else you do after they've passed away is just minhagim, it's just traditions and like, 
things that you do, but do they really matter? It only matters to the people that are living. Does it really matter to the deceased? No. What do they know? What do they feel? They don't care. Right? Sometimes I bring it up to certain people that like have children and they don't bring up their children in anything Jewish. Unfortunately. It, it just breaks my heart that people bring up their kids with no Jewish education, no Jewish tradition, nothing. Zero. And, and, and sometimes when they ask me like, so what? What's the big deal? Right? I, I, I always like ponder and I think about it. And some, I've, I've said this to some people. So I'm like, you know, after you're gone, do you at least want your kids to care? To say a Kaddish? You know, do you, nothing? You don't feel like you want someone that you've left behind that gives? If, if all these kids are raised to feel that, yeah, life sucks, and then, boop, after 120, you're gone. That's it. That's it, that's all life is about. So they'll think that you're also trash. When you're old, you belong in an old age home. Right? You, you deserve visitations God knows how many times a month or a year. And then when they get the news of the passing, okay, what are we supposed to do? But it's very important to understand from the parasha we see that Avraham Avinu had obviously the obligation to bury his own wife. That's obvious. But he didn't want to stop at that. He felt that the met, that the deceased deserves respect, reserves, deserves kavod. And that's with how you handle kavod. How are you going to pay your respects to the deceased? How are you going to elevate the neshama so that it feels that it wasn't just abandoned by one person just doing, ah, you know, a burial, done. There's a story that happened in Pressburg, Hungary, which today I think is called um, Bratislava. It's near Hungary, it's like borders, I think, borders Austria. Um, and this happened in a time of Rav um, Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, which was a great tzaddik. And he told, this, this story was told over by one of his Talmudim, Rav Avraham Slosky. It was a student. He said that uh, around their, their city in a yeshiva, or in their community, there was a woman that lived with her husband and her kids. She had, I think, four daughters. And um, they had a business, they had a store that she worked in with her husband, and that's what they supported their family with. Unfortunately, her husband passes away. And she was trying to handle the business and her daughters and her family, and she couldn't, and she finally just went bankrupt. Lost everything, unfortunately. She had this, and she was a very, her family was a very giving family. We're always giving tzedakah to different yeshivot, to different places. One tzedakah that, that she was used to giving all the time was that every month she had a prescribed amount of money that she would give to the yeshiva. And this money was to be given to men that were saying Kaddish. There was, let's say, 10 guys that would say Kaddish. And who were they saying Kaddish for? 
unknowns. People that need someone to say Kaddish for them. They would just have Kavanah that they're saying Kaddish for people that don't have anyone to say Kaddish for them. And every month, she would send money to the yeshiva so that these guys could be paid. You know, they're, they're hired to make Kaddish every day so they can make a minyan. Every morning they have to be at a minyan, every afternoon they have to be at a minyan. So they're making their Kaddishin. And this was going for a few years. But one day, when, when she lost her business, lost her husband, she started cutting down on different things and, and, and literally she couldn't, she couldn't afford anything anymore. But this, she was so upset about losing this. So she goes to the yeshiva one day and goes talks to the Rosh Yeshiva and says, listen, this is what's happening in her life. And she's probably not going to be able to afford it anymore, but she feels horrible. She doesn't want this to go missing. She doesn't want to take this away you know, from the people that are making Kaddish for those that are lost and gone and God knows who they are, where they are, how they live their lives and they need a Kaddish. So she starts pleading with the Rosh Hashiva, like, please don't tell them to stop. Maybe, maybe God knows somehow later on situation will become better. I'll continue. We'll bring the front money from somewhere else. And the Rosh Hashiva was very nice, obviously. And says, listen, you don't even have to worry about it. This is a chut. If we can, we'll... we'll, we'll Get it from someplace. If not, you know, these, this is, you know, this is poor times. People were not wealthy, you know. We'll figure something out. For now, they'll continue saying Kaddish. And she was like so brokenhearted. She had four daughters at home, not married. She had to take care of, to marry them off. She, she, she had gone bankrupt. Her husband, I mean, God forbid. She's walking down the street out of the yeshiva. And she sits on a bench someplace. And an older gentleman comes and sit, sits next to her and sees her crying, like, sad. She says, he says, what's wrong? Why, why are you so down? May I ask? She looks at the guy, you know, he looks like a nice guy. She has no one to talk to about Bach, you know. So she opens up to this guy and tells him her entire situation. And at the end, she says, you know, she has four daughters, marriage age. She can't marry them off because she has no money. No, no money for the dowry, no money for wedding, nothing. So this guy says, let me ask you something. If I were to ask you, how much money do you need for a dowry for your daughters and to you know, respectable dowry and weddings and some leftover? How much, what, what, what would you say you need? She starts laughing, like, ah, it's so big, I can't. She's like, no, just tell me, give me a number, give me a figure. How much do you need? How much would it cost? Right? She says, I don't know, four daughters, let's say, you know, in, in, in our terms today, you know, Two, three hundred thousand dollars. Right? So he says, Okay, I want to give you this money. She goes, What are you crazy? <laughs> he goes, Listen, I want to give you this money. He takes out a checkbook. Says, I, I want to write this check, but it's a big, big amount. Right? You go to my bank, they're not they're gonna think it's fraud. They're not gonna know. So I'll need some witnesses to see me sign and a paper that says I signed it so that they can sign underneath as the, as the witnesses. She says, okay. She says, where am I going to get witnesses? He goes, I don't know. Do you have anyone that you can bring as witnesses? She realizes she's by the yeshiva. She says, yeah, I can get some witnesses. I'll bring witnesses, right? She runs in the yeshiva, grabs two guys from the yeshiva and says, can you please be witnesses for me in a little transaction. They go, sure, why not? You know, they know her. They come down, he writes a check for $300,000, signs his name, 
and writes on a paper that I, so-and-so, you know, um, sign underneath with these witnesses watching me sign that so, so amount of money has to be taken out of my, my bank, my bank account. He gives this letter to her and a check and goes, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, so-and-so bank opens up, that's my bank. That's the only bank you're going to go to. You're going to ask for Mr. So-and-so. And he will provide you with the money if you show him this paperwork. She says, thank you so much. How do I, how do I, how do I get in touch with you? He says, I don't want you to get in touch with me. You don't have, no. Just go. I want you to be, I'm happy that I met you here so I can help you. Imagine, malach. Like, imagine, like out of nowhere. Zakhutav. She goes home. When she's going to sleep, she's thinking like, this is probably crazy. Who pays this much money? I don't know. Like the guy didn't even know me. She's thinking, should I even go to the bank? Should I not? The next morning, she's contemplating whether she should go. She says, like, you know what? I'm going to go. The next morning, she goes to the bank, like shaking hands. She goes to the teller and says, I'm here to cash this check. So the teller looks at the check, looks at her, goes, one moment, please. <laughs> you know. It's a lot of money. <laughs> she goes to the back office, and then within like few seconds or a minute or so, you hear a thump in the back. And then you see bankers running around from one office to the other. Everyone's running. Just, there's some kind of commotion, right? And she doesn't know what happened. She's, she goes, she's, she's freaking out. Few minutes pass, and the manager of the bank the owner of the bank, which was in the back office, asks them to call her in. Because the owner would like to speak with you for a moment. She goes in, sees this guy sitting behind the desk, pale. Right? And he says, okay, listen, who gave you this check? She goes, this gold, this, this older gentleman yesterday met me, I told him my story, he says, he says okay, who, who's this? He says, this, the person that signed on the check. And these are the witnesses. I'm not lying here. I have a paper that they, he signed it and these two witnesses signed underneath the paper. I can even bring the witnesses for you. He says, just uh, listen to me. Takes a, takes a uh, uh, frame out of his desk and says, did the person look like this? He says, nee, that, that's the guy. He faints again. They bring him to and she doesn't know what's going on. So he comes back and he says, listen, that person is my father. He passed away 10 years ago. This is his check, his signature. This is his bank. And he begins to tell her, last night, my father came to me in my dream and said, you, you're an embarrassment. Since I, he has passed away, you never said one Kaddish, you never said one good thing for me. And on top of that, you went and assimilated. You married non-Jewish. Your wife is not even Jewish. You're completely off the derech. You have no religion whatsoever. And all I have left is this woman that was saying Kaddish. This woman that was paying these people to say Kaddish. And now they can't. Tomorrow morning, a woman's going to come to the bank. My money is going to have my check signed. You're going to give her the money she needs for her family. Because if you can't do it, at least someone has to continue doing it. Because I woke up in cold sweat. I started crying. My wife got up. She's like, it's just a dream. Don't worry. It's okay. 
You know, I thought, okay, maybe. I was a little shaken up, but I thought, okay. But then this morning you walk in here and you're telling, you got my father's check and you're telling me that it's gonna, I, I gotta give you this amount of money. So make your story short. He gives her the money. Not only that, the wife, after the wife sees what exactly really went on, she's completely Choser Bichuva, Choseret Bichuva, she converts completely. He is Choser Bichuva completely. They come into Torah life completely. Right? They change their entire life around because of this. Right? So Rabbi Slosky asks Rav Chaim Zon, Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. He says, how do you know this happened? He says, because I was one of the witnesses that signed the paper. This is not 500 years ago. He says, my name is under that paper and a friend of mine. We came from the yeshiva. We signed the paper. So we think... After a neshama leaves this world, it's over. We think when someone passes away, what do they know? Wrong. Neshamot expect things from their families. They expect an aliyah from their families. They expect kavod from their families. In their occasions, they're there. In their smachot, they're there. And they expect things. It's very important. And where do we learn that from? Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu had to go around and look for people to take so that he'll have a kavod, with kavod, a funeral for his wife. Why? Why? Just go, you're paying millions of dollars for a plot of land that's not even worth it. Isn't that kavod enough? No, it wasn't enough. He needed the funeral to be with kavod, with respect for his, life, for his wife. Because he understood that it's important for the deceased to understand that there were people there. You know what a great uh, kavod it is for the deceased when, when more and more people come to a funeral? You know how many stories that have happened? How many stories? There was a story during COVID that a, 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 a body got switched with another body. A, a family did a f- huge funeral during COVID. They were able to like... Uh, do make loopholes and stuff like that to be enabled. You remember that time that they didn't even let more than 10 people to go with the body? Da, da, da. They were able to get like 30, 40 people to go with the body and they went through so much hell. And then they get there, it's not even their father. They buried the wrong body. They did everything for the wrong body. Right? And then they found out, you know who they buried? It was a person that during the Holocaust... He took it upon himself that every person that in their camp would pass away, he would carry them on their shoulder at night and go bury them in the field. He wouldn't let them sit, lie there in the open. Everybody knew that this person is the guy who buried all the dead that no one even cared about. And from Shamaim during COVID, Kadosh Baruch Hu said, this person deserves to be buried the kavod. In the street, he got an entourage, a funeral in the street. People didn't even know him. So next time someone talks to you about, uh, is there really neshamot? Do they really know what's going on? Do they really care? Do they really care? You can tell them.
from Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld. Yes, they absolutely do. They absolutely hear everything. They absolutely know everything. They absolutely see everything. Every single wedding of their great, 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 great grandchildren. They're there. They're there to watch as the new link is being formed. They know everything. They feel everything. And they care about every single step. And they deserve kavod. They deserve our respect. Because everything we have is from them. Everything. It's from their challenges. It's from their sacrifices. Everything we have is from them. And it has to be no less than what Abraham Avinu had to go through and do. He had to get a middleman as if he needed a price cut just so that he has enough people to bury his wife with kavod. We should always gather in smachot and, and, and always be together in simchas. But as it is also important to remember that we owe a great deal of gratitude to those before us. And we owe a great deal of kavod to those before us. Once in a while, lighting a candle, doing a mitzvah in their memory, is definitely goes a long way. Baruch Adonai le'olam, amen ve'amen.